There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, but also getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. You can find the link to our playlist in the show notes. Welcome to episode 103. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Wave Racer. The electronic musician and producer from Sydney is releasing his debut record tomorrow entitled To Stop From Falling Off The Earth. In today's episode, we're speaking with Tom Purcell about using his own voice for the record, avoiding sappy songwriting, and the music of Bo Burnham. Here we go. Our guest today is an electronic producer and musician from Sydney, Australia. After previously releasing the Flash Drive EP back in 2015, he's now releasing his debut record tomorrow, entitled To Stop From Falling Off The Earth. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Tom Purcell, a.k.a. Wave Racer. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for thank you for coming on. Where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from my home studio in Melbourne, Australia. Um, this is where I've spent a lot of time in the past 12 months. Yeah. This is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, we're in lockdown here. I've been spending a lot of time in this room in particular, this studio, which is like the second bedroom in my apartment. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is um, this is where I'm based. <laughs> I know a lot of people spent um, most of lockdown, I guess, in some form of um, well, everyone was you know at home. Did you find yourself being creative in the studio kind of straight away, or was it something that you eased yourself into? I think it definitely took a bit of easing into, but then again, like, I mean, I'm, my productions always tend to be quite a solitary exercise. Like I've always been quite, um, yeah, I I do. I I tend to thrive most when I can really hone in on the details in my own sort of time. Um, so whereas other people are probably more collaborative and very like social, I guess, in their, in their creation, I've tend to always been quite solitary with how I produce. So being stuck in a lockdown hasn't made a massive difference to my production techniques, I suppose, because it's kind of like what I've always been used to doing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously I think the lack of inspiration from external stimulus has been a, a big, a big factor, obviously, but mainly um, in terms of the actual like getting down and, and digging into the actual technical side of things, it hasn't been a huge difference. And if anything, it's given me more time to, to focus on that stuff rather than being distracted with other things like, you know, touring schedules and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's been obviously an interesting time, but uh, I guess it's been a a productive time for production. Yeah. 
Of course. Well, we um, we're talking today because there's a a debut record coming out from yourself tomorrow, which is very very exciting. I think um, I'm not. I don't want to say that we wouldn't have had it without the pandemic or whatever else. But congratulations on the album. Thank you so much. Yes, it's been a um, long time in, in the making. I guess it's worth noting I have been working on this album since before the pandemic began. So, you know, the pandemic was kind of just a, a hurdle to overcome during the production process. <laughs> but yes, no, it's I'm very happy to have it finally coming out. To Stop From Falling Off The Earth is the title of the record and it does mark a um, like a, a little bit of a sonic shift from... I know we've had some singles leading up to to the album, but I'd say from the previous EP um, and those first singles, it is a bit of a sonic shift from yourself. When did this start to change? And and I guess when did you realise that this is the sound that you're going for for your debut? Yeah, it's definitely a sonic shift. Um, I think part of the sonic shift happened just very naturally over time. Obviously the, the EP that you're talking about flash drive EP that came out in 2015, which is, you know, at this time it's six years ago, pretty much. So like we're talking about six years of my life that's happened in between those um, releases, which I think uh, there's a certain level of, of personal maturity that's happened in my life, but also maturity in my tastes and my, my values as well. So I think that has naturally been reflected through what I'm creating. Um, I can't say that there's been a, a definite decision that was made at some point where I was like, this is the sound that I want to do. I naturally, at, at, over the course of those, you know, six years that it's been since Flash Drive and this album, um, you know, there's there's just been lots of exploration of new territory, lots of discovery. Um, and each, each time that I've made a, a new exploration or a new discovery, I've sort of been like, this is something that I value now that I didn't value before. This is something that I now want to incorporate into what I do moving forward and use it as a positive change. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of people ask that question and it's like, Oh, when did you decide to, you know, make this shift? Um, (laughs) but it definitely wasn't a, a decision as such. It was more just like a natural side effect of, um, of maturing and growing and spending time working on stuff. You know, I spend a lot of time learning about music production in my own time. Like half of the time, more than half of the time I spend in the studio is actually spent just like researching and learning about what, how to do, how to do recording, how to like, how to do composition and stuff like that. And, and in the process of learning, you discover more than you knew before. And I've discovered more than I knew when I knew when I was making that <laughs> EP back in 2015. So, um, you know, it's a different part of my life and it's, I think that's naturally reflected through, uh, through the sonic shift. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, and I don't, and I also, I'm, 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 I've always been someone open and welcoming to change. I don't think it's ever, for me, it's never really a negative thing to change. I think, I think it's a natural thing. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's about taking what works from the past and moving forward with, with new discoveries and, and things like that. So, yeah. I think that, um, just to kind of echo what you said, like change, growing growth, it is all like, a human thing and that it is kind of like a natural thing as well. And of course, one's going to, you know, learn, grow, especially because um, Flash Drive was kind of at such a young age. I think it was around like 
I'm going to say either 20 or 23. Yeah, I was um, I was about 23, yeah. Yeah. 24, so yeah. I can imagine you're still – I know that, like, when I was 22, 23, and then the music that I liked five, six years later was not vastly different, but, you know, you, you add to it, you – it kind of reflects who you are and that does change. Absolutely. When you um when you started to release some of the new stuff that did mark this sonic shift, was there any um I don't want to say blowback. <laughs> I feel like that's too uh <laughs> too big of a word, but I guess what was the reaction like at that time were were people shocked that that there had been a change or evolution in your sound? Look, that's something that I was obviously worried about, and I think it's something that everyone I worked with was worried about too. But in all honesty, it, none of those fears came true. Like we were so pleasantly surprised by how positive the feedback was. Um, all the comments about, you know, like me using my vocal, um, me incorporating live instrumentation like guitars and me sort of, you know, going down the pop, more pop song structure like all those things were welcomed with open arms. Um, very, very few negative comments, very, very few like questions or concerns about like why I was making that shift. It's people seemed to understand that that was what I was doing and why I was doing it, which was a, a very pleasant um, and a very pleasant surprise. I think for me, I was, I was, I was expecting a little bit more um, negativity or hostility towards that shift, but uh yeah, I got to say, like, I think, I mean, the idea also is that, you know, with, with a sonic shift, you, you, you're you opening yourself up to more people being interested in what you do because, you know, if you're if you're opening up your sonic palette, then people who may have not been interested in my old sonic palette are going to be more interested in what I'm doing now, which is perfectly normal. But I found pleasantly that even people who have been with me since 2015 are staying along for this ride too, which is really good. Um, and I think maybe that's because... I guess maybe because what I was doing in 2015 was like there was still some injection of like pop sensibility and, and sort of naturalistic and humanistic energy in that music that I was making back then, even if it wasn't quite yeah. as upfront. Yeah. 100%. And now people are seeing more of that in what I'm doing now. And they're thinking, Oh, that's, I know that this guy is capable of that. He's been doing that for years, but now he's just focusing more on it and it's actually, and they're really excited to hear it, which is awesome. Um, and I think also, putting music out, you want to, you have to sort of, people don't know, like fans of music don't always know what it is that they want to hear. And I think part of the job <laughs> of an artist is to show them what, what it is that they want because an artist has to be perceptive enough to know what it is that the people that they're making art for are going to want to hear and the, the things that they're going to want to engage with. Um, so even though an artist may be like, oh, I love what he was doing five years ago. I want to hear more of that. They don't actually know that that's not really what they want to spend their time listening to. What they really want is something new and fresh and exciting that they haven't heard yet. And they want to be surprised and they want to be pleasantly surprised, you know? So I think people have been, have been very welcoming of that, which has been great. That That is good to hear. And I think people... Um were surprised, as you said, pleasantly surprised. You just mentioned before that this does use your voice, your singing, your vocals are out there this time around, which is, um, it is, it's incredible. Like, how did you feel? I guess when did you make that decision or was there a thought of like, let's do this or any apprehension in, in using your voice? Because it can be quite daunting that first time. 
Yeah. Um, the vocal, the one thing that did sort of cause me a bit of anxiety was the prospect of, of using my vocals in the songs. Like at first my approach was, okay, well, I've got these ideas for lyrics. I've got these ideas for vocal melodies that I want to try. Um, but I'm not sure who's going to sing it or how it's going to be recorded and that kind of stuff. And I, I originally was starting to use my vocal as almost just like a, a placeholder thing being like, okay, this is how I envision the song sounding, but we'll get a guest vocalist or something like that, you know? But after I continued doing that for a few months, it was like, well, I don't actually, I, the lyrics that I'm writing here are, are personal and they're very like, they, they are about my own life and they're very characteristic to my own um, personality. And, you know, like they have this sort of tongue in cheek sort of, nature that is like it's pertinent to my own sense of humor and my own sensibilities so i don't think handing that off to someone else is going to really convey the right message so i was like well why don't i just teach myself how to do this properly and let me try actually recording the vocal in the way that i envision it in my mind and um see how it sounds because i've I had no confidence in my own singing voice at, at all no confidence in my ability to perform vocally or even record vocals properly like I'd never really done that like produce vocals mix them and all that kind of stuff that was I had to spend a long time learning how to do all of that and um no I, I it was it was a fun process because I enjoy learning that stuff but <laughs> it was it was a lot of work uh but yeah I think the, yeah that is the one thing that probably took the most work and was the most anxiety inducing like at some point I would wake up there were points where I was like quite anxious and I was waking up in the middle of the night being like what am I doing putting my own voice on my songs like that's not no one's gonna enjoy that I think people are gonna laugh at me like you know um and so it took me a while to overcome that and be like oh no actually like I I do think that this is good enough now and I do think that I can this is this is warranted um uh but yeah it, it took time and there was certainly some some apprehension there. Of course, I can imagine any like task like that, especially where you you are essentially like bearing a part of yourself in a way. And yeah. but I, I I think the payoff has been um, has been quite good. All, all the reviews so far are A pluses, Tom. So so far, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, like I said, it's um it's been it's been very nice to see people welcoming that with open arms. And you know, I'm surprised to see that so many people are are liking the sound of my voice. You know, I wasn't expecting that many. I was expecting like a fifty fifty. You know, but it's been ninety <laughs> percent positive, which is great. Of course, uh, um, I wanted to touch on as you just mentioned before, like kind of trying to predict what fans want, you know, not rehashing and um, and um, giving back the same thing that you were giving five, six years ago. The album, as we said, a bit more pop sensibility. There is a, uh, a bit of a, a link or when watching like a version, when you cover the 1975 and then listening to the single and then listening to this album, it kind of, in my mind, it kind of all clicked. There is a, uh, I want to say that there's a sensibility about both yourself and 1975 where you've got this kind of like indie pop music that seems to be both, um, oh, what's, what are the words I'm looking for? Like there's a sincerity in it and there's also like a, a hint of like irony 
but it, it it's very wholesome. And I mean that as a, as a compliment, it's very like I listened to it and felt the way that I felt when I listened to like sincerity is scary by the 1975. Like it is this be- it's beautiful pop at the core mm. of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you find, I guess, balancing. Ready to pop the question. The jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Balancing that line in terms of the lyrics... And having something that is sincere, that that speaks to people and actually speaks to like the core of people, not like surface level stuff, but real things um, without it coming across as too... Oh. Sappy. <laughs> yes, thank you. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Sappy. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that is a fine line that I had to sort of tread. And I there was a lot of experiments that I made that were definitely on the sappy side that were way too far that way. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's, I would come back the next day and listen to it and be like, Oh God, no, like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> and so then you have to pull it back a little bit finding. And I, 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 you know, as a, again, I'll say like, I'd spent many months learning how to do this and, and, and doing lots of experiments. But um, yeah, one of the things that I had to figure out was when writing lyrics and writing, just f- figuring out the subject matter of a song, how do I, convey that in a way that's not only catchy and poetic, but also relatable to people, but not like so specific that they won't be engaging. And like you mentioned the 1975, they're a huge influence, obviously. I mean, um, their lyrics are very, very like, they have a huge sense of like tongue in cheek irony, but they're really good at storytelling and there's like symbolism and metaphor and, and all kinds of beautiful stuff in there that I draw inspiration from every day. Um, and I think when I was writing my own lyrics for this, I was like, okay, like what I need to do is I, I'm, I'm drawing from my own life experiences, which is the things that I think and feel every day, the things that I've gone through that have, that have uh, helped me learn certain things, helped me mature as a person, you know, like things like relationship breakdowns, learning about becoming a mature adult, um, you know, discovering how to be better at my job, um, that, those kinds of things. And me, and I was like, okay, these are the things that I want to put in my album. These are the things that the lessons that I've learned that I want to convey in the songs. And then I had to figure out a way to, I guess, lyricize those things um, without being literal, without being too direct, and also trying to shape them in a way where people who've had different experiences to me can also take something out of it. So there's a fine line you have to walk with me between being broad and being specific and um, 
I think I like to veer more towards being specific because people, it, it leaves a bit more intrigue into it. It's like, oh, what is he talking about? And then there's a bit of like a, a story that they have to piece together when they're listening to my lyrics. Um, but, yeah, look, it's I personally, I still don't even know if I'm even any good at lyric writing. Like this is my first attempt. So I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out whether what I wrote is uh, and I, I know that for a fact next time I try this, I'll be better at it. Um, but, you know, for a first attempt, I think, yeah, I was trying to be as sincere as possible, but not, but it, like you said, with the sappy thing, the more sincere you get, the more you toe the line of, of coming across as overly corny and overly sappy. And I like yeah. to remedy that by trying to be metaphorical and poetic. So if I, if I turn those feelings into into poetry, like using prose or like using um, metaphor or irony, then people can like, then I'm not, I'm I'm telling people how I'm feeling using symbolism rather than actual um, direct references. So then symbolism, obviously is something that people are used to hearing. Um, They see it in movies and books and TV shows all the time. And they can be like, Oh, that symbol means this. And this is, I can relate that feeling to my version of that symbol too. Um, That's, I think that's why symbolism and and iconography and stuff like that is, is nice to include. Um, But then there there are, there are moments on the album where I'm quite literal too. So it it really, it depends. depends on what the subject matter is. Of course I can understand that. And I think that just to touch on, I understand you're saying it's your first time, but I think that, uh, and not just simply saying this because you are in front of me and we are talking, um, I think you've done an excellent job with the record. It is a, a fantastic record. and um, Thank you if, so much. I really appreciate no, that. Of course, of course. Um, if this is the first try and you're saying the next one will be better, then I'm also very excited to see that next one and where that one goes. I guess when you did have to rejig parts of, of how Wave Racer works, how um, it functions, was there, obviously we're still a little little way off live shows um, at the moment in Australia, but was there the thought of having to rejig or how it's going to affect your, your live performance and, and I guess touring everything else along those lines as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I knew I've known for many, like a number of years now that the live setup that I wanted to work with definitely needed to be changed and, and, um, developed, you know, for context, the live setup that I was using when the flash drive EP came out and the, the tours around that, that was literally just me with a laptop and like a, an, an AB, an APC MIDI controller, um, basically just doing DJ sets that I constructed in Ableton or which is my music software, um, you know, making my own edits before going on stage and like mashing up things and make preparing pre essentially pre-prepared mixes that I had sort of tailor made for the show. Um, and then just playing them out by myself solo on stage. And there was room, there was a time where that was enough, but as things progressed, that became no longer enough for what I was trying to do. Um, so I knew, when I, I, t- I deliberately stopped doing some shows back in like 2016, 17. And I was like, I need to stop doing shows. I need to figure out what's next music wise for me, what's going to be the next thing I release. And then hopefully come back with that plus a better live show, basically. Obviously that turned into a long period of time. And I thought as I was producing the album and the music, I was like, this actually lends itself to being performed live with a band. So I was like, let's try, let's in my wildest dreams, imagine that I can get a three piece band or even more like a four piece, five piece band or something. 
Um, we ended up going with a three-piece band when I did eventually come back and do my live debut with the new music. Um, so that's me up front with guitar um, and keyboards and vocals, and then we've got a drummer and a bass player who also does keys and stuff. So, um, you know, it's it's a modest setup, but it's way more effective at conveying the sensibilities of the music and it, not only for the current stuff but the past stuff as well. So I'm doing arrangements of my my singles from 2014 and my remixes and stuff like that. And it works really well because I think the live, live drums in particular is, is, is a really nice um, addition. Um, having, having the, the percussive elements that are in my songs played live, it emphasizes and exacerbates what I was trying to do in the production when I was programming the drums. So like, you know, there's only so much you can do when you're programming drums electronically to give them a human feel, but then actually having a drummer play them live really is a human playing it. And it's like, okay, that is what I was trying to convey. Cause I was never trying to be robotic with my music. I was always trying to be human and fun and bouncy and sincere. And like, um, even though I only had the capability of doing it with pre-programmed sequences and stuff, I was always trying to convey that as best as I could. Um, so yeah, having the live set, I was like, yeah, this live setup is, is the way that I want to go moving forward. Obviously we started figuring out this live setup pre-COVID and I played Falls Festival uh, like 2019, 2020 over the new year period then. We, we played Falls Festival um, with, the, with the live setup for the first time, and that was amazing. Um, there was obviously, there was also the bushfires then, which meant that one of, them, one of the shows got cancelled because of the bushfires too. So it was even then there was, we were in crisis mode trying to <laughs> figure stuff out. But, yeah, um, yeah, we, that was amazing. I mean, I, I did a 45-minute set of me playing old music and debuting some new music from the album as well you know, completely live, um, you know, me on guitar. Um, and eventually I opened that up to me doing live vocals as well, which you, which is, I premiered as well. So yeah, that the live setup is obviously a big thing that any artist has to think about. Like any artist who is interested in making money <laughs> wants to, has to basically think very seriously about what their live show is going to be like. And I knew that me standing behind a laptop wasn't enough to, continue sustainably keeping audiences interested um in that space because i knew that i wasn't i i was in this weird space where i'm not really trying to be a dj um but i'm not quite yet a live performer or or an or like a a pop musician so to speak so i was in this weird space for a long time and then i now now that i'm putting out this album i feel like i've very much firmly stepped into this space where i can start doing a live show um, and people will understand why I'm doing that and they'll, it'll make sense. So yeah, that's kind of the decision that I made a while ago. Um, and it's, that's probably been the thing that's taken the most work actually is, yeah. is transferring all the music into a live setup that, that it's, it's impossible to describe how much work it is to do that. It's almost like writing an album. Uh, I can only yes. imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately I haven't had much of an opportunity to actually do much of that besides the falls festival, which we did. And, and besides, um, a couple of things like I did the secret sky virtual festival and I did, um, some live stuff with like a version, like you mentioned, um, those things are kind of what I was hoping to be doing on stage across the country and, you know, around, around the world, but haven't had the opportunity yet to do that. So hopefully I will. 
Fingers crossed that we can get our uh, country sorted sooner rather than later and get gigs back up and running. Yeah. Um, Tom, would you be happy to talk about the playlist that you sent through for today? Of course, yeah. Fine. No worries. Um, One question that I wanted to ask... um, we have already discussed them and I feel like it would be rude not to address them on the playlist as well. Uh, the 1975, you picked How to Draw slash, and I'm, I think I'm going to mispronounce this, Pe- Petricor? Yeah, Petricor. Yeah. Petricor um, from their Brief Inquiry record. Out of all the songs of, the, of all their many records, what is it about this song that, um, that stands out and, and made you put it on the playlist? Um, it's mainly the, 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 the production and the sonics it's, you know, when I first listened to the, so basically a brief inquiry is the, is the album that I discovered the 1975 with, it's the one, it's the thing that introduced me to them. And I remember being like, Oh, this is a fun, like pop band. Like this is, I thought they were like <laughs> my impression of them from what I had known in the past was like, they're kind of like a corny, like. 14 year old girls like them kind of vibe. Um, but then I was listening to this album and this song comes relatively early in the track listing of that album. And I remember hearing the textures and like the, the experimentation in the beats and like, I was like, what the hell am I listening to? It took me on a real journey while I was like on my tram, I was on a tram to the city and my headphones listening to it. And I was like, this is remarkable. Like this is next level, like Aphex twin, like you know like um radiohead meets electronic experimentation and i was like wow like i was not expecting this kind of production experimentation and maturity from a band like this and then i discovered that that is actually what they're known for they're known for being boundary pushing and um experimenting and and just being you know as as unique as they could possibly be. And um, that is kind of what made me fall in love with them. So I guess that's the reason I chose this particular song is because it took me by surprise and it, it opened my eyes dramatically towards them as musicians. And I just think it's wonderful. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful song. It is. Um, it's a gorgeous song and agreed. It is a, it's a gorgeous album. I think um, maybe very similar to yourself. I thought previously that it was like a, like a teeny bopper band. And then hearing this record in its entirety, it is just like, Oh no, I get it now. Okay. The, the teeny yeah. boppers were right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's like, wow, what have I been missing out on? You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, then the next song I wanted to, to touch on any time that we've got a chance to talk about Phoebe Bridges on this podcast, we will always take it. <laughs> You've included one of my favorite tracks of hers on there, Motion Sickness. What does this song mean to you? Um, again, this was one of the first Phoebe Bridges songs that I had been exposed to. And I remember discovering Phoebe Bridges being like, this seems like country music, you know, this seems like, uh, <laughs> what, like, why, why is, why, what's going on here? Why are people so obsessed with this? And then I heard, I heard this one, Motion Sickness, and I heard Funeral from the same album. Yeah. And, I remember being like, oh, this is, this is gorgeous and heartbreaking. And mm. it touches my soul in a way that it hasn't been touched in a long time, uh, especially funeral. But the reason I chose this song is because I think the production is, is very much in line with the kind of stuff that I make. Um, it's got really crunchy guitars and like it's, it's upbeat enough and like the melodies 
I just like, uh, I, I mean, I, I think mainly the reason I chose this is because the songwriting is astounding and it, it's the kind of songwriting that I look up to as like, I wish I was clever enough to write something like this. Um, obviously, you know, she's got her own experiences that she's drawing from in, in a song like this, but I was just like, wow, this is, it, it opened my eyes to how, how you can construct lyrics in a clever way. Um, and you know, you don't have, you like it, it, whenever I discover a song that opens up new territory for me like that, I'm like, this is, this is, this has a special place in my heart. So that's, that's why I chose this one. That's awesome. That is, um, both that song and funeral, as you mentioned, gorgeous, gorgeous songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one I wanted to touch on, I don't have much experience with this one compared to the other two, that funny feeling by Bo Burnham. <laughs> I know that it's from uh, Inside, his uh, Netflix special. I have to admit I haven't watched it yet only because a number of people said um, you really have to be in the right frame of mind to watch it or else it's devastating and that has, it's not put me off, but now I'm just, I don't know whether I'm ready. (laughs) Um, What made you pick this song? Uh, Kind of again, I mean, Bo Burnham again, I thought he was like a, a YouTube slash Vine like guy. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, this is cool. I put it on, I put the thing on Netflix. So I was like, let's just watch this. Like, let's have some fun. Me and my partner were like, yeah, okay. Like this seems funny. Like, let's give it a go. Like we weren't expecting, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into watching this thing. <laughs> um, and I love, one of the things that I love in art in all forms of art is when you get sort of um, tackled by how, heavy something is when you're not expecting it. Like, you know, this is a comedy special, essentially what we're watching on Netflix by some YouTube social media, like Vine guy, who's like known for making funny sketches on the internet. And then I didn't, I mean, I had not seen his previous Netflix specials. He's obviously been around for a lot longer and I hadn't been exposed to stuff that he's done in the past. And again, this was like my eye opening experience for him. But yeah, I was like, this is some of the most insightful and just, cleverly constructed not only comedy but also music like he's a fantastic musician fantastic Mm -hmm. lyricist very good video production he he produced this whole thing himself but this song in particular funny feeling this is one of like the songs that is not really meant to make you laugh it's kind of meant to make you like feel pain (laughs) like it's meant to kind of make (laughs) you feel like oh this yeah where it's it's all kind of messed up uh and speaking of Phoebe Bridges, as I mentioned before, she actually covered this live in one of her most recent uh, shows, which I thought was really cool. I thought that was like, it's such a perfect match, like for <laughs> Phoebe Bridges to be singing the lyrics of this song because it's very existential. And I love existential stuff. It's like, what are, like what is going on on this earth and why do I not understand any of it? And then Bo Burnham's lyrics just perfectly place that all in perspective, I think. Um, yeah, so I, I love it. I love it. The... Um... I did read somewhere that Phoebe Bridges had covered it and I then, yeah, it, oh gosh, just like a perfect pairing. I think it's, it's the kind of song that Phoebe Bridges could have written. That's why it's so interesting. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, I think she even mentioned once that she wished she had written it because it's so perfectly aligned with like this. I think they're both really good at capturing um, millennial existentialism and like grief and um, angst. And so, and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very much a part of that feeling as well. So I, I relate to it heavily and just like they both do, obviously. Yeah. It's, um, well, look, 
I, I'm not even sure how to wrap this up after that. That's um, Bo Burnham <laughs> and Phoebe Bridges is is definitely one way to <laughs> to end the podcast. Um, <laughs> Tom, thank you very much for your time today. I do appreciate it, and congratulations again on the album to stop from falling off the earth. It is out tomorrow. Um, and please come back anytime. More than welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Wave Racer for his time. To Stop From Falling Off The Earth is out tomorrow, and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to buy or stream the record. We also want to give a huge shout-out to Liz at Pius Australia for helping out with today's interview. You can find a link to our Spotify playlist in the show notes where you'll be able to listen to all of Tom's picks. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Thursday and Friday morning with guest playlists streaming on Spotify at the same time. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.